All right, you got your coffee? One more swig. Here we go. Here we go. Suck it down. Here we go. Um, that does not mean we're moving extra fast. In case you were wondering, caffeine does not speed up the way that I read. So, um, the men's conference, it's coming on this Friday, Saturday. I'm getting to, uh, to be involved in the worship with, with the team at Federal Way. And so that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be... It's going to be a good time. So men, I encourage you to come. I can't encourage uh, the ladies in the same way because I won't be at that one, but you should probably go anyway. So uh, if you're looking for a way to sign up, there's a couple flyers on the table back there. And then also in my weekly email, uh, there's links in there that you can just click on that and go straight to the registration page. Uh, We had a fantastic day yesterday uh, working on the building. Some days, if you've ever been involved in a project, a remodel, a construction project, I had never done a remodel until this, and now we are a year and a half into the remodel on this building, and um, some days are good, and some days are not. Uh, yesterday was a good one. Yesterday was really good, and so and so was Friday, just a lot of stuff getting done, a lot of drywall, and... Um, uh, yeah, Chris was working on drywall yesterday. Chris, not Christ. Uh, for those that remember my email um, blunder from a couple weeks ago, um, and we got a bunch of HVAC stuff done as well. So we're we're moving. We're really really wanting to wrap this up soon so that we can have some events and host things and meetings and and all kinds of good things in that building. Um, okay. I'm done talking about that. Oh, yes, except to say that if you would like to help and be involved, we had several of you come out this uh, last week, and uh, um, Bill and, and Tim, you guys were, were a big help this last week, and so uh, there's space, there's room, there's things for you to do um, if you don't mind being put to work. Stan, the concrete-laying man... We have a slab, an entry slab, right in front of those double doors where it had been a hole for a long time. Now, it's a nice, smooth, concrete slab, and it's beautiful, and you can walk on it. And if you take the tour later, you'll get to see all, all the fine work there. Okay, Acts chapter 3. Open your Bibles or your apps, and here we go. Acts is the story of... The beginning of the church age, we had Luke writes Acts, but Luke also wrote the Gospel of Luke. He told the story, the narrative of Jesus' ministry as much as he felt was appropriate to fit in one letter. We know that there's lots of other things that, that didn't make it. <laughs> lots of, too many things to fit in one letter, one book, one story. And so there's things that Sometimes you feel like, gosh, there's, there's a gap in timing, or surely that's not the only time he did that, or you know things like that. Yeah, that's, that's exactly true. Um, scripture says that if everything was recorded, there would not be enough books in the world to contain it all. Um, Jesus was not bored. He was not sitting around twiddling his thumbs. He was active. So Acts continues the, sorry for yelling, Acts continues the narrative uh, 
from the time that Jesus goes up into heaven into the, because that's, that's the separation of, of seasons. Jesus went to heaven. It's the end of the season where he was here physically with us in a physical body. Now that he's seated at the right hand of the Father, we have the Holy Spirit, which Jesus promised to send. And this introduces a new age, a new way of being, a new season for, for believers, for humanity. This is the age of the church. This is where the Holy Spirit is here amongst us, ready to indwell any that will call on the name of Jesus. It was a promise given from centuries ago, and now Peter tells us in chapter 2, it's here. This is that which the prophets were talking about. The Holy Spirit is here. He's available. He wants to be with you, and not just with you like a companion, but literally inside you. He wants to indwell you. God himself now, because of what Jesus has done, can be in you because you can be cleansed by what Jesus did. So Acts is this story. We've read about the ascension of Jesus, him going into heaven. We've read about and studied the disciples deciding to obey and go to Jerusalem and wait. We've read about how the Holy Spirit filled them and, and uh, the strange occurrence of, of other languages coming out of their mouths and other people hearing it and understanding it in their language and the, what looks like fire over their heads and, and how it appeared to them when the Holy Spirit first arrived. We talked about how people received that when they heard And now we're starting into chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 1 through 10. Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which was called beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began to ask to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the uh, the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. What a story. This is just shortly after, we don't really know how long, but but relatively soon after the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell. they're filled with the Spirit. 3,000 people in one day give, put their faith in Jesus Christ as Messiah, and the church is growing every day. The Lord is adding to their number daily. This could have been a matter of weeks later. Um, so lots is going on. 
Scripture says just before this that there was, there was signs and wonders being done by the, by the apostles. Everybody was devoting themselves to, to prayer and fellowship and eating together. Amen. Who was here last week? Okay, not everybody. All right, but we talked about eating together, right? And so this is all going on, and now this is the hour of prayer. This is... Um, about three o'clock in the afternoon, Jewish tradition had set aside 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m. Um, as hours of prayer where, where other things, activities in the temple would stop and there would be space for people to come in and pray. So this was the hour of prayer. Peter and John were still good Jews and believed, you know, nothing had really changed. Everything had just been fulfilled for them. So they were there to pray and to worship the Lord. We don't really know if this was uh, one of their daily gatherings because they were gathering daily in the temple and in people's houses. But regardless, they were there. They were going to pray. And then there's this guy, this lame man. And we'll just give the, the whole message the title, the lame man because that's a great way to describe somebody by their condition, right? You do that today, and that's discrimination. You can't, you'll get in trouble. Um, the lame man. This man was born that way. Some sort of deformity in the lower legs, the ankles, the feet. This was all he had ever known. He had never walked. He had never probably tried to walk. He was always um, a liability, a burden on the people around him. He didn't know what it was like to use his legs or feet in a productive way to be able to hold a job or or carry on normal activity or commerce, to walk to the market. This was his condition from birth. And because it was his condition for so long, it had become his identity. They called him the lame man. They knew him as the beggar who sat by the gate beautiful. It was his identity. It was that which defined him. In fact, it's the only description that we have of it. We don't even have his name. There's a lot of people in the Bible that we would really like to know their names. huh? We don't know his name. But he was the guy who begged at the gate beautiful. The law of Moses commanded a certain helping of the poor. It says begging alms. He was begging alms. He was, he was begging. We, you've seen panhandlers and stuff like that. Sometimes you feel compassion. Sometimes you get irritated, whatever. But in the Jewish culture, this was a big part of their culture. Part of their income was to be dedicated to the giving of alms. Um, in Deuteronomy chapter 15, uh, the Jewish people were to treat their poor as their family. They were to lend generously, even if it was unlikely that that person was going to be able to pay them back. Um, Jesus says, uh, you will always have the poor with you, um, but, but right now we're, we're doing something else. That's something he says. Uh, and he was quoting Deuteronomy when he said that. Uh, Deuteronomy, the, the, the book in the law of Moses says, uh, you will, the poor will always be with you but they will always be cared for. You will always care for them and they will be provided for. They're not going to be like the destitute uh, people in other cultures. You're going to provide for them. So this was kind of a, an, an arm of the social security system 
is what it was, right? If, if everything was great, then, then you and your family were kind of each other's social security. There was inheritance. There was the way that a family was supposed to care for each other and pass things on. Um, but in this case, he was unable to provide. He was not going to provide for a family. And so the social security side of things was alms, alms. And it was in the scripture from the beginning, in the law. So that's what he was doing. It was, it was legal. It was expected. It was normal. And it fit with his identity, his identity of being a lame man. He might have lived with his parents. Um, this would have been his only way to really contribute to the family and provide for himself was begging alms at the temple. It suggests his family was probably not well off because if they were, then he would have been just taken care of at home and probably out of the public eye because that's embarrassing. That was embarrassing. But he, he had a position. He had a normal place. He had a routine. His place was at the gate beautiful, which was as far as he was able to go as far as towards the temple. Because according to customs, somebody that was lame or ill or had a disease or a condition, they were not allowed into the courts of the temple. You could not worship God with the assembly unless you were healthy and whole. We see this also when we're talking about a, a spotless lamb, uh, a, a, an animal without blemish is supposed to be what you sacrifice to God. There's this theme of um, wholeness and health. And so it was part of their tradition, part of their culture, and, and even in the law that nobody that was lame could enter the courts of the temple. So the gate beautiful was as far as he could go. He would sit outside that gate. He wasn't allowed in the temple compound. He, he could look into the temple compound. He could see where people were worshiping. He could watch the sacrifices from a great distance. He could watch people on their way in and on their way out from worship, but he himself was excluded. The lame man was excluded. He was an outcast. Though he was tolerated and somewhat provided for by society, he was a second or even third class member of society. He had a lonely life without hope of changing his circumstances. Are you kind of getting a feel? Are you starting to feel a little bit depressed when you think about the lame man? This was the guy's whole life. But then this day happened. The church had been meeting every day at the temple. All the believers would gather together. There were big meetings, and then they would break off and go to, to local homes and houses and smaller groups and eat and pray together. So anybody that was around Jerusalem would know that this kind of thing was going on. He, he was probably aware. He had probably seen some stuff. It's 3 p.m., it's hot, it's crowded. A lot of people are going to be going to, to the hour of prayer at the ninth hour. And Peter and John, apostles of Jesus, two of the original 12, leaders of the church, they come and they enter by the gate beautiful. They enter by this gate. It's also called the Golden Gate. Now, this gate is the gate, right? Around the temple compound, you've got 
on the north and the south, it's kind of longer facing east and west. The opening of the temple faced east, so if we're correctly oriented here, east is that way. And, and north is that way, south is that way. And so you've got three different gates along the sides. A big one here on the, on the east where the sun rises. The Mount of Olives is back this way. And then on this, and, and there's no gates on the west side. Nope, there was one gate on the west side. But it was a smaller one. The beautiful gate was the big one. All of them were big. They were all, uh, all, all the ones on the side were um, 40 cubits high. Now, cubits would generally be from here to here. So 40 cubits. Um, but this one was 50 cubits. So it was extra big, extra metal on these things. They were, they were clad in, in bronze and silver and gold. This one was 90 feet tall. 90 feet tall. It took 20 people to move one of these. And they moved them every day. So, you know, there's your gym membership. Big, beautiful gate. Josephus, the Jewish historian, later describes this gate and, and talks about the incredible artwork on it. He calls it the Corinthian uh, gate because of the style and stuff. But it was, it, this was the place. He, this lame man actually had a pretty good spot. I mean, if you, we don't know if there were any others there, but, but he had a great spot. This was the spot, the beautiful place where most people came in. The lame man had just been dropped off. He was just carried there and just settled there when Peter and John came in. They were his first customers, so to speak. Uh, he saw them and began immediately to beg for alms. Which was normal. Everything up to this point is normal until the Holy Spirit speaks to Peter and John. And Peter notices this guy. Nothing out of the ordinary. There's always guys begging for alms. He notices this guy and the Holy Spirit speaks to him. And somehow, either with an image or maybe even before in prayer, he's, he tells Peter, he lets Peter know that he wants to heal this man. Peter doesn't waste any time. He <laughs> if it was me, I would take note of that. Maybe, maybe realize that it was a Holy Spirit. Yeah, okay, okay, all right. On my way out, I'll talk to him. On my, on my way out, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. You know, you see the, the person in the store and the Holy Spirit lights them up to you and, and you're, you feel like you should talk to him and you're like, okay, well, if I run into him back here, I'll, I'll talk to him. Or, oh, if I, if I see him, if I go through their line on the way out. Peter didn't waste any time. He didn't do that. He, it says he fixed his gaze on this guy, literally stared intently, like awkward stare, like, right? The same language is used um, when Jesus first opened the scroll and read out of Isaiah um, and, and says, hey, I'm the guy, and everybody looked at him. As the scroll went back to the attendant, and they're like, did we just hear what we think we heard? Like, did he really just, like, that kind of awkward stare, like, who the heck is this? What's going on? Peter is looking awkward like this. It was the same way that the disciples were looking up into, up into the sky after Jesus had gone up and was received by a cloud, and they, and they were staring intently. Same kind, of, same kind of thing. And then he says to the man, look at us. 
In other words, pay attention to what I'm saying, engage with me, engage with what I'm saying, uh, or look at me, I'm about to give you something. The last option is what this guy was hoping for. Look at me, I'm about to give you something. Um, I'm being awkward about it because uh, I want everybody to notice that I'm about to give you something. Like, that's what this guy is thinking, right? The man responded to Peter in the way that he always would have, out of his identity as a lame beggar. This is just what he did. When someone called out to him, it was to give him money and to be noticed. And so he was okay with that. He was going to play along. And then Peter completely rocked his world. First, he denies him what he thinks he wants, right? He says, he says I don't have any silver and gold. And you can just read the guy's wheels turning. He's like, whoa, what the heck are you talking to me for? Are you wasting my time right now? Because I could be asking somebody else who does have silver and gold. Peter says, I am not the source of money that you seek. But then he follows that up with something better than that. And he says, but I do have something. I have authority in the name of Jesus to heal you. Whoa. Okay. So we get, uh, Christians, we can kind of get a little bit nervous when somebody says, I have authority to heal. Because we, we want to change the vernacular a little bit and say, it's the Holy Spirit who heals. It's, 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 it's uh, Jesus who heals through us. And, and so, you know, I'm, I'm just a vessel. I don't really do anything. Okay. I totally get that. And I feel that way most of the time. But scripture is pretty explicit in this. And we're just going to have to wrestle through this. Jesus sent out the 12, and then later the 70. And he explicitly gave them authority over spirits, demon spirits. He gave them authority to heal, to raise the dead. Like, he told them, go do this. He was not with them. He was, he was confined in one human body. He was not with them. He was not working through them. He gave them permission to do this. Peter is walking in this authority, which we're just going to have to get into more at another time. <laughs> and he says, I have this authority and I can do this. I don't have money, but I'm about to change your world. And then he gave him something. Nothing tangible. He gave him a command. He told him to do something. He said, walk. And I'm, you know, if it had happened slowly, the guy would have laughed at him. But Peter was not really moving slow at this moment. Peter just said, in the name of Jesus the Nazarene, walk. And at the same time, he lifts out his, he sticks out his hand and grabs the guy by the right hand and pulls him up. I thought about this when we were pulling you out of that chair earlier, moving a little slow with the sore back. But he just, he just said, hey, right now, pull out. Okay, this man has never stood in his life. He's never walked in his life. His feet, I, I don't know what they look like, but they were probably very atrophied and very underdeveloped and maybe gnarled. Uh, and, and as he stands, he is healed. His legs are strengthened. His feet and his ankles and, and lower legs are strengthened and made whole and healthy. And, and he, he starts by walking. 
He starts by standing and then walking and then realizing what's going on. Walking is no longer enough to express what's going on. So he begins running and leaping while praising God. And then my favorite part of this whole story, he goes in to the temple with Peter and John. He goes into the temple where he had never been allowed. He had never walked, but he had never been allowed in the temple. And and to a devout Jew, to somebody who knows that the presence of God is in that temple, and I can't go in now because he is healed, because he is restored, he goes into the temple and makes a scene. And, and, you know, everybody freaks out and... When Peter engaged this man, he completely ignored his identity as the lame man. He didn't engage him on on his level on the way that, that he was thinking about money and provision. When the Holy Spirit highlighted this man to Peter and John, the Holy Spirit was was about to change this man's identity. He was about to, to be changed, not just in his physical condition, but in the abilities that he would have to enter the temple, in the, his way of thinking, in his way of living. It was all going to be very different. And the Holy Spirit knew that. And so he just bypassed what this guy thought about himself. He said, your identity is going to be different now. He went from the lame beggar whose position was begging alms by the gate beautiful to that man healed and restored by the name of Jesus and was now dancing through the gate beautiful. I think it's interesting to note that Peter didn't pray and ask God to heal the man in Jesus' name. He just commanded it. He walked in that authority. He had been given it. Peter did what he saw the Holy Spirit do. Some sort of, some sort of image. And, and you, know, you know this feeling, most of you, where, where the Holy Spirit gives you an impression. Sometimes in morning, uh, morning prayer or devotions, you'll, you'll receive something. That's how we want to be praying in the morning is, God, give me something for today. Give me something. Uh, give me divine appointments. Give me words to say. Help me be Jesus to the people around me. That's what was going on in Peter's mind. Some healings, we see this is a really dramatic and immediate healing. Some healings are more gradual. Some are, are delayed. Some we don't see until we reach the other side. Uh, not this one. <laughs> this one was right now in your face, which also brings up the purpose for that healing. Yes, God loved this man. Yes, God wanted to change his identity and engage him where he never thought he could be engaged. But also, did you see the response of everybody else that saw him? And just a few verses previous at the end of chapter two, all the signs and the wonders 
think they reverse that in the scriptures. Wonders and signs done by the apostles. That means that these were done to attract people's attention. It was done to demonstrate and show that Jesus was a Messiah and his name was power. God was, yes, he was healing this man because, because he wanted to heal him, but it was also instrumental in drawing other people to the name of Jesus as Messiah. How would it have been to, to be one of the people that had just carried him in? Because this was, I mean, these were his first customers. This was just beginning, beginning of his shift here. They were right there. They just carried the man in. Nobody knew his previous condition better than they did. This was not going to be a hard thing to prove that he was the same guy. How would that affect your heart if somebody you'd been caring for was just instantly and dramatically healed? Do you think that would draw you to whatever healed this man? I mean, we talk quite a bit about, you know, medical products or ointments or supplements or whatever that work for us, right? We become walking billboards for that thing. We tell everybody, hey, man, this vitamin B stuff. And then and you tell people and then they, and then they try it, right? This was way bigger than that. Making a scene. His miraculous healing was not only for him, but to draw many other people to Jesus. I believe that today, the Lord wants to change some of our identities. Another day, we'll get into more more of how Peter and John operated by the power of the Spirit in this moment. But today, let's let the story of the lame man speak to us. God made that man who was lame. He was God's son. He was made in God's image. He carried a specific piece of God's image and a unique expression of who God is. His body was deformed. And therefore, his experiences with his deformity and what he heard from those around him and the way other people treated him, they told him something other than what God said. God said, you're my son. You're my child. But what he experienced and what he heard told him that he was on his own. He wasn't even allowed to be close to God. Even in that he still wanted more and he still pushed because he could have picked a lot of different places to beg alms, but he chose that gate. Seems like maybe he was a glutton for punishment. I'm just going to be right next to the thing that I always wanted but I can never have every day of my life. He knew there was something more for him. He didn't turn into a recluse and shrink into the darkness. He didn't go find one of the the villages for the lepers outside of town. He didn't hole up in in a gutter somewhere and just wait for the world to go dark on him. He stayed there every day 
Something in him, even though his identity was messed up and skewed, something in him knew there was more. Now, God healed him through Peter. I'm thinking of a, a time earlier when Jesus was questioned. And they said, why is this man blind? He was born blind, remember? And, and, and they said, why, why was this man born blind? Was it his parents' sin or was it his sin? And Jesus said, you're thinking about it all wrong. This is so that the glory of God can be revealed. Same thing here. This man was going to be a vessel of the glory of God and his identity was being changed here in this moment. We too have circumstances and situations in our lives that we have zero control over. We were created and we were formed in God's image. Scripture says that we were knit together in our our mother's wombs. He saw our inmost being. He, He created us wonderfully. But our circumstances tend to shape our identity. Our experiences, our afflictions, our tragedies, our histories, our miseries, more often than the good things. They tend to shape our identities. We can find ourselves looking from the outside in, in on other people who seem to be able to have what we cannot have. We can feel separated from God because of our experiences, because of our condition, and and we've made those things our identity. But God does not see you in that light. He doesn't doesn't define you by your your experiences. He has healing for you. He has wholeness for you. And just like God engaged through Peter and John, this lame man here at the Gate Beautiful, he has an encounter for you. He wants to meet you. He wants to change your perspective. He wants to shape your identity. He has healing and wholeness for you. So just a couple things that we can work into our mindset as we seek the healing that God has for us. And, uh, and we can go ahead and pass the communion. We're going to take communion at the end of this. We can go ahead and pass that and you can come play as well. The first thing we want in our minds and in our hearts as we seek God's healing for us is believe that he wants to heal us. We want to believe and understand that this is who God is and he wants to do this for us. got to believe it if you don't if you don't think that there's more if you don't think that then you're not going to be looking for it. you're not going to be in a place to receive the second thing is like that lame man we must not isolate we must not separate ourselves from community that's our first instinct when i'm hurt when i'm upset especially if i'm ticked with somebody at church i ain't going to church i'm gonna go find a new church where everybody's perfect 
We've got to stay plugged in. We've got to stay close. Even if you feel like you're on the outside looking in, even if you, you feel like you're outside the gate, you're at the temple, you're at church, but you, you feel like you're separated from God, you can't keep, keep in that spot, stay there, stay in the community, stay in that place. Even when you feel like you're just being tolerated, stay where his people are. You need to know that your pain and your mess is not out of place at church. We all messed up. Just some of it's more visible. The next thing is you need to get ready because your healing is coming. God does in fact have healing for you, whether in this instant or all the way on the other side. His will is to heal you could be somewhere in between but God has healing and wholeness for you it's who he is and he wants that for you it is his will to fully restore you to heal you and we know this because Jesus actually paid to make it happen and finally this healing is not just for you the things that God does in your life are are not just for you God doesn't think Small. He, he knows all the details. He thinks big picture and individual. He knows how your life affects other people. He knows how your relationships spider web here and there. And, and he knows what, his, what the effect of him working in your life will be. And not to say that you as an individual do not matter, which is absolutely not what Scripture teaches, but... It's bigger than that. It's bigger than that. Your healing isn't just for you. When he does heal you, you you must let your healing become a sign to the people around you. Because those people need to know that the name of Jesus has power and he has given that power to his followers. They need to know what Jesus did for them. And your story is the best way that they're going to hear this good news. You need to believe that he wants to heal you. You need to stay engaged and not isolate. You need to get ready and expect that he will heal you and stay in that place. And you need to share your healing with the people around you might be a physical healing, might be, a, might be an emotional or a spiritual healing. I, when I was in my teens, I broke my feet really good. So I, I think I, I identify with this guy a little bit. I wasn't born lame. Sometimes I feel the, well, I would say often I feel the effects of those injuries. But there was a time when I was 16 and I fell off a roof and I broke my feet my heel bones and, and I took the ambulance ride to the, to the hospital and they're doing the, the, all the imaging and stuff and, and of course the doctors are going to give you the, the worst case scenario, yeah? And there was doubt that I, would, that I would ever walk again. And if I did walk again, I would certainly never run and I would walk with a serious limp. If you ever see me limping, often somebody will say, are you limping? And I'll be like, uh, probably. <laughs> You know, wasn't aware of it, but yes. 
So when I read about this lame man whose, whose feet and legs kept him from doing life, I was, I was that close to something like that happening to me. But my recovery was miraculous. And they took the hardware, all the screws and plates and stuff. They took all that out a year and a half later. The doctor wanted to take me to Seattle to show off my feet at conferences. I was like, uh, no. My feet are really ticklish. <laughs> and the only, the only way I could see that ending is some poor doctor getting kicked in the snout. And he touched my feet wrong, and then said, I'm sorry. <laughs> God has healing and wholeness for us. He wants to restore the broken places in us. And so we, because we follow him, because we honor him as God, and that's what he wants to do, we want to receive that. We want to receive that. This was made possible because Jesus died on the cross and cleansed us from our sin. So we're taking communion together today. We have our, our bread and our cup. Jesus instructed us to do this very thing in remembrance of him, to remember what he did for us, lest we get distracted and sidetracked and focused on other things. He gave us his body and blood to rescue and restore us. Without this, we would forever be trapped in our sins and our mess and our trouble, forever separated from the Father, forever on the other side of the gate beautiful, with no hope of being what or who we were made to be. His sacrifice brought healing and wholeness to us. The bread represents his body, his body which bore our sins, It bore our sickness and our diseases of every kind. He bore it away from us and took the punishment of our sins. Together, we take the bread. The cup with the juice represents his blood. His blood represents the new covenant. This is the way that we can be in relationship with the Father. That relationship we were always designed to be in, but we're separated from because of our sin. The blood cleanses us from the inside. He makes us clean. And once we're clean, the Holy Spirit, God himself, can dwell within us. This is the sign of the new covenant, his blood. We take the cup together. Jesus, we're so grateful for your sacrifice. We're so grateful for your word and your revelation to us of who you are and how you love us and what you have done for us. Lord, today we believe that you have healing for us and you have provided that for us. And 
we'll admit we have very limited understanding of how that works and how to receive and all we can do is go to your word and say here's what it says today we believe <coughs> pardon me we believe that you want to heal and we want to receive that healing so holy spirit break through into our lives and power change our identities work in the dark places of our of our heart and our spirit where we have believed lies where other things have become our definition rather than who you say we are come and work that healing in us in Jesus name I'm going to bless you and, and send you out, but I just wanted to remind you that we have prayer at the front. And yeah, go ahead and collect the, the cups there. We have prayer at the front. If you need healing, it might be a physical thing. It might be an emotional thing. If you need healing, receive prayer. The Lord wants to heal you and he has provided it for you. As you go into this week, be filled with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. May you see yourself as God sees you, and may you see the people around you as God sees them. In Jesus' name, amen.